Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us for a conversation is Brian London. He is the president of Jefferson Financial, helping to protect your wealth. Mr. London, welcome to the show, sir. Wonderful to be with you, Maurice. Sir, we're honored to have you on our show. Mr. London, before we begin today's discussion for first-time listeners, please tell us about Jefferson Financial and what type of services you provide. Well, we're essentially a provider of investment information. We publish Gold Newsletter, which is the oldest uh, precious metals advisory in the world, having been started by Jim Blanchard in 1971 is a way for him to advocate for the return of uh, gold uh, ownership, legalized gold ownership to American citizens. And uh, I also produced the New Orleans Investment Conference, an annual annual event that Jim Blanchard also started in 1974. After he was successful in helping to get gold legalized, he had an investment conference to teach American investors how to buy gold, how to invest in the gold markets and silver and uh, it's been going on ever since and is the oldest and I believe the most respected investment event out there. You know we brought you on our show today to get your insights on a number of topics and I would like to begin our discussion with the Fed and their commitment to increase interest rates and reduce their debt obligations on their balance sheet and I have to begin by asking you is that even possible for the Fed to unwind their balance sheet? Well, they can unwind their balance sheet. I think the key question is in at what pace they can simply let the, let the obligations run off as they mature, which would take quite literally decades for that to happen. Um, but you know, it's the key is can they do it without uh, unforeseen or uh, or, or dangerous consequences to the U.S. economy and the stock market. And and frankly, I don't think they can. Uh, as they increase their balance sheet, as they were the buyer of last resort to keep interest rates low, and as they uh, had you know, an unprecedented program called quantitative easing, which was just money printing, all of this to support the market, we saw the effects in not retail price inflation, as many of us feared, but in financial asset inflation, which, to be fair, was their their goal all along. So, uh, you know, on the way up, as the balance sheet was rising and as quantitative easing was hitting its stride, the, the correlation between the Fed's balance sheet and the S&P 500 was around 97%. So... They inflated the stock market uh, bull market. They, they were directly behind it. And the question now is if they had that much of a correlation on the way up, well, now that they're on the way down, are we going to have a similar correlation? And I think the, uh, the events of last week when the Dow lost over 1,400 points over a couple of days uh, is you know a powerful evidence that they won't be able to get away with it without some some dire consequences in the equity markets. You know, speaking of those dire consequences, from a macro perspective, what type of impact is the Fed's decisions having on global markets, and should we be concerned about contagion and capital flight from peripheral markets? Well, it's actually attracting uh, some money to the U.S. because you have. 
on a relative basis higher rates in U.S. Treasuries than you have in similar instruments in Europe and, and elsewhere. So it, it is attracting money and helping to support the dollar. But I don't think it's making the dollar strong. If anything, it's preventing the dollar's decline because the Fed, while it's raising rates now, they really can't do it much longer for, for a number of reasons. Uh, first off, they're, they're going to crater the economy if they get rates too high. Uh, second of all, we can't uh, because of the large debt loads we have right now. The U.S. simply cannot bear the burden of higher interest rates while we have this kind of a, of a debt burden. If interest rates got to historic levels, and by historic levels, I'm talking of you know, 10, 15 years ago, where the, the interest rate burden on the, the federal debt was on the order of 5 to 6%. If we got to those levels again, then... Um, you know, the, the, the burden of the federal, the interest burden on the federal debt would be on the order of $1.2 trillion. And that's far greater, significantly greater than the whole deficit is right now. So I, I just don't think that's politically possible. So if we're looking at, uh, at interest rates of 5 to 6% on the federal debt, we're talking about a Fed funds rate that's probably around 3%. I think that's the upper limit. You know, you referenced the U.S. currency's decline. You know, the U.S., for all intents and purposes, is in a trade war. And President Trump recently shared he's not in favor of the Fed's recent uh, rate hikes. Is the Fed jeopardizing his position in discussions with his adversaries in the trade war? I don't think so. I don't think it really affects that so much, uh, his, his trade war. I think one of the reasons why Trump is out there uh, bemoaning and, and belittling the Fed so uh, vociferously is because he's looking for an excuse in case the economy go, starts downward or in case there's a serious stock market decline. He wants to be able to blame it on someone uh, except himself, and the Fed will be the obvious target. So he's kind of setting the table for that, I believe. Plus, he's he's obviously in favor. His administration is in favor of low interest rates and uh, and debt. And you know, I think that's what we're going to keep getting. Now, when do you foresee the Fed's rate hikes ending, and what may be the effects upon their conclusion long term? Well, if their upper limit is around 3%, that means we have about three more quarter point rate hikes ahead of us. If they do one in December, which everybody expects, then that means they'll, they'll only need a couple more to get to 3%. And that could happen in the first half of next year. I don't think that's a widely understood or appreciated fact right now. I think there's some smart money that's been seeing that for some time in, in realizing that the Fed is in the back half of its rate hike campaign, while other currencies, other central banks like the ECB and the Bank of England have yet to begin their rate tightening, but are on schedule to do so very soon. So I think there's already been a shift in uh, large money allocations from the dollar into the euro and the pound. And I think we're going to continue seeing that. And I think that's the reason why the the dollar has not been able to, say, break out of the 95 range on the dollar index 
and why I believe the dollar will be headed lower over the next six months or so. You know, speaking of smart money, we'd like to remind our audience that we refer to money as physical gold and physical silver. Talk to us about the recent price movement in gold. Well, what's really been interesting about gold is that it has risen on a number of occasions recently when the stock market was crashing and yet the dollar was strong. Now, typically, that would argue that the buying is safe haven related. And, and Maurice, I never like that as a driver for gold. I'm, I'm never in favor of that for any you know sustained period because these the safe haven type buying, these geopolitical issues, these little flash crises, they come and go and they don't provide a sustained driver for gold. What really drives gold over the longer term are, are concerns over monetary issues, concerns over debt and currency depreciation and the like and inflation. Uh, so when you see the dollar along with gold, that's a sign that the buying is safe haven related and probably not lasting. However, at the same time, and even on those days when the stock market was crashing, the gold stocks were rising. They were, they were very strong. And that argues for a, uh, a more of a uh, long-term uh, uh, approach to the gold buying. That, that's an indication that people are buying gold because they see longer-term monetary-based factors at play. So it's a little bit of both right now, and I find it very interesting. It's going to shake out one way or the other, but what's encouraging is that we're seeing indications of both types of demand for gold, but both are contributing to higher gold prices. And in fact, if we can get enough of a gain in gold to spark a short-covering rally by all the uh, short speculators out there, then, you know, I'll take that. that that's, that's fine with me. That could be enough to, to really start a longer-term rally in the metals. I have to ask this as well, sir. What prudent action should someone take listening uh, based on today's discussion regarding physical precious metals? Well, they need to own physical precious metals. That's what I tell everyone. If you're a, uh, if you're a newbie to the sector, uh, make sure you have your physical precious metals uh, component, the foundation of your precious metals allocation. Make sure you have that in place. Make sure you have it uh, accessible. You know, don't put it in bank safe deposit boxes. Make sure you have access to it. I'm a big fan of small denomination silver coins or junk, you know, old junk silver as an important component of what somebody should own. But they, they need to get the physical component in place. And that's the first thing. And even some experienced, you know, gold and silver bugs uh, to the sector, they like to play around in the mining stocks, but they, a lot of them don't have that physical component in place. And you really need to. That's your insurance. It's, it's something everyone knows uh, or needs and, um, and, and has to have as, as insurance against not the unforeseen, but against the inevitable. You said a lot of information there. I'd like to just recover there for a second. Number one, you referenced not to have it in a safe deposit box. Could you please expand on that for a little bit? Well, one of the things you're insuring yourself against or hedging against by owning physical metals is a bank holiday. So if they lock the banks, how are we going to, you going to get to your, uh, your precious metals? Uh, now, that limits your, your storage options, but there's still a number of options out there, including some in a personal safe 
some in other security centers. And then if you're going to have a fairly large allocation to physical, you can have some in, in uh, storage facilities, both domestic and international. I tell people that, you know, I have very good friends in the precious metal storage business, yet I, I still recommend that if you're going to have a substantial uh, bullion investment, physical bullion investment, to spread your storage around because you just never know. You, you never know what's going to happen to any specific company or facility. Uh, and you want to, that, that's a risk that you can easily diversify and really should. You know, another fact that a lot of people aren't aware of is the safe deposit boxes at your banks. Sir, are they FDIC insured? No, they're not a deposit. So they are not insured. That is very important for, I think, for our audience to understand. But please, yes, sir, please elaborate. And when they're not insured, um, you uh, you know that the uh, the authorities have access to those with the subpoena. Uh, you know, interestingly, one of the things we discovered here in New Orleans during Katrina is that you should also not have a safe deposit box on the first floor of a bank because uh, there are a number of safe deposit boxes in uh, uh, in the New Orleans area that were under twelve feet of water for uh, weeks uh, at a time after the hurricane. So it's, you know, and they are not waterproof, by the way. So a lot of these things you need to consider when, when looking to, st to uh, store precious metals and valuable documents. You know, another point you made was regarding mining stocks. I think a lot of individuals that are investors, uh, particularly in the secondary market, they're not aware that they can own physical metals. So they're under the impression that if they own a mining company, that they own gold. And that is incorrect. You are owning basically a company that is mining, but they don't provide you specie, which is the physical metal. When you purchase the stock, you're going to get back cash. You're not getting back the metal. Very important for us to understand here. We all have our favorites of the big five, which are gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium. Which ones have your attention and why? Gold and silver primarily. You know, the other three have large industrial components to them. Uh, so there are other factors, and they make good investments and good speculations in certain times. But gold and silver are the pure monetary metals, and you know, even a lot of people talk about the industrial component to silver, but but quite frankly, if silver was only valued on its industrial value, it, it would be five, you know, five dollars uh, an ounce or less right now. So the rest of that margin or, or premium in in its in its price is really monetary value, and uh, and you know, if you like. The reason, if you like gold, I tell people, if you love, if you like gold, you have to love silver because silver is going to follow gold, but it's going to move more than gold in the same direction. So it offers kind of an innate leverage to the gold price. If gold's rising in terms of, of fiat currency, silver is going to also rise, but to a greater degree. Now, the, there's the downside of that as well. It's going to go more quickly to the downside. Uh, in a down market, but it is something that um, I tell people they really need to hold uh, a blend of the two. But for your hedging against financial catastrophe or or, or or a steady devaluation of the dollar, you really need to own gold and silver primarily. The gold-silver ratio, how does that factor in your 
decision on purchasing? Well, I think it, it determines the health of a market more so than than timing, uh, perhaps a little bit about value or the relative value of the metals. Uh, but when the gold-silver ratio is falling, that means that silver is outperforming gold to the upside. And that is the hallmark of a good, uh, strong, consistent, sustainable bull market in gold. And uh, when the opposite is in effect, then it's, it's not positive. It doesn't reflect on uh, strength in the metals in general. I don't like or don't recommend that people uh, trade the gold-silver ratio because if you, say, sell gold and buy silver because the ratio is falling, then you're, you're mitigating your potential gains because they're both going to rise in, or they're going to head in the same direction. So if they're both rising and you're selling gold, you're cutting a good portion of your potential gains out of the equation. So I don't like trading the ratio. I like to look at it as a, uh, a signal of the relative strength of the trend in one direction or the other. Interesting perspective, and thank you for sharing that, sir. Switching gears, the New Orleans Investment Conference will be conducted the 1st through the 4th of November in beautiful downtown New Orleans. Mr. London, tell us about the world's greatest investment event. Who are some of the featured speakers and discussion topics? Well, I touched on it a bit earlier. You know, it's been around since 1974 when Jim Blanchard started it. And Jim was a fairly... uh, flamboyant uh, kind of a guy. He really went over the top with inviting big-name speakers to the conference. So we've inherited that legacy and try to burnish it as best we can. And uh, and so we get speakers here that you you won't see elsewhere. And in, in general, the, the lineup of speakers that we bring to our attendees is of a higher quality, I believe, than you'll find anywhere else. Uh, this year, we have Robert Kiyosaki. We have uh, political commentators Mark Stein and Jonah Goldberg. We have James Grant, who who is one of the uh, most uh, eloquent advocates for gold in particular, but most eloquent commentators on the financial markets out there. Uh, we have Doug Casey. We have Peter Schiff. We have Dennis Gartman, Rick Rule. We have Guy Adami from uh, CNBC, who's a really interesting guy. Uh, we have Ben Hunt. Um, so, and, and then we've got dozens upon dozens of other speakers, experts in just about every sector, but with a particular emphasis on, uh, on metals and mining stocks. What type of attendees usually attend the New Orleans Investment Conference, sir? Well, they are smart number one, because you have to be smart to pick this event to come to it because it it caters to really smart investors. It also caters to self-directed investors. These are people who are, um, you know, independent thinkers, maverick thinkers. They're information hungry. Uh, They may have a, a, a large portion of their portfolio with money managers, but a a large portion of their portfolio is directed by them um, and and according to the views that they have and uh, the the conclusions that they have after a lot of investigation in the markets and trends and listening to a lot of people. So it's a smart group. It's a successful group. One of the things I tell our attendees every year is that 
Uh, yeah, we have great people, top of the line experts on the stage, but look around you. There, there are literally hundreds of very successful uh, investors around you at this event. And uh, I've never seen one of them who wasn't willing to share his ideas and strategies and, you know, and, and, and best thoughts on the markets and where they're heading. So there's a lot of fantastic market intelligence just within the crowd at our event. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of intellectual uh, capital there at the conference. And speaking of the attendees, this will be my third year in attendance. And I have to admit, I'm looking forward to meeting the attendees equally as I am to the guest speakers. The networking opportunities with some of the best minds all in one place is priceless. If you do not have your tickets, we welcome you to visit our website, provenimprobable.com. And on the right-hand column of the website, you will see an image for the New Orleans Investment Conference. Click on the image, and you'll be taken directly to the registration page. Sir, before we close, tell us about the gold newsletter and how we can retrieve your information on a regular basis. Well, gold newsletter, as I mentioned before, is the oldest and and uh, I I would say one of the most respected and successful newsletters or, or advisories on precious metals and mining stocks out there. Uh, Jim Blanchard started it in 1971, literally the day that Nixon closed the gold window, and it has an important uh, history in the hard money movement in advocating for the, the very legalization of gold in America. So we have a long, uh, illustrious history. We're trying to build on that every day. And we, we cover not only the, uh, the economy and geopolitics and the kinds of things that affect all of the asset classes, but we do specifically focus on the precious metals and what's driving them. And we cover a number of, of mining stocks, typically junior mining stocks, that have the potential to rise when precious metals prices rise or on discovery of new deposits. So that's kind of our, our uh, casino, as it were, where we have a number of uh, high potential, high, higher risk for sure, but much higher potential investment opportunities. You know, Mr. London, for someone that wants to get more information regarding Jefferson Financial, please share the contact details. Well, you can, for Gold Newsletter, you can go to, go to goldnewsletter.com, very simply. And for the New Orleans Investment Conference, neworleansconference.com. Although I believe you'll have some links as well, Maurice, that will give people some special opportunities for the conference. I certainly will, sir. And as a reminder for our audience, we are licensed brokers to buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, palladium, and rhodium, offshore storage accounts, and precious metals IRAs. To have a conversation, please email maurice at milesfranklin.com or call 919-274-5680. And last but not least, please visit our website, provenandprobable.com, where we interview the most respected names in the natural resource space. You may reach us at contact at provenandprobable.com. Brian London of Jefferson Financial. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, 
completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.